You're listening to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. You've heard of a DJ. Here's your podcast jockey, Dr. J the PJ, on the podcast series, Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Walk with Resilience. This is your moment. Here is your host, Dr. Ashley Jordan. I am honored to be your host for tonight's show, and the topic for this evening is the old adage, you've probably heard it from your parents and your grandparents before, it's actions speak louder than words. What you'll find is that there is a very common, and I'd have to say a very ugly part of our culture, as a result of developing a sense of entitlement where people feel that trust is no longer earned, it is something that should be given from the get-go, and depending on their position and the status of their relationship, that that should be an automatic. People have a very dangerous belief now, I like to refer to these things as cognitive distortions, that trust is no longer something that needs to be earned, it is something that should be had, and if there is a reason to no longer trust them, then you have the right to go ahead and question whether or not trust is something that should be freely shared. That comes, again, from a belief in our culture nowadays where it's taking circumstances and saying, you know what, I'm not that circumstance and I'm not that person who hurt you. So therefore, let's go ahead and give it a go and trust me from the beginning. And as long as I don't give you a reason, there's no cause to question it. Well, that's a very, very dangerous distortion. And that's exactly what it is. It's a distortion. It is a false belief, meaning that there is absolutely no proof, no merit. And unfortunately, It has led to the demise of lots of relationships, friendships, business partnerships, because in the process of kind of walking into the entitlement of, well, you should trust me, there's also that human disposition default, if you will, to have to earn someone's trust because in the process of earning their trust, there is... the fear that they will violate that. And so then you find yourself on the defensive with your guards up. If you've ever been in a sparring match or a boxing match, I don't know how many of these listeners here actually box or spar, but one of the things that I did growing up is I did a lot of martial arts and I would be sparring. And many times if I dropped that guard, I'd get a right hook straight to the jaw. And I I learned very quickly, I got to keep those guards up. Well, that's what happens emotionally. Although we are telling ourselves and convincing ourselves that trust is not something that should be earned, it's something that should be automatic unless there is a reason to not have trust, we find ourselves still with the default and disposition to still have the propensity for the other person to know that they're going to have to somehow earn it, even though on the outside we are saying otherwise it sends conflicting messages because when we drop our guard we often are disappointed by our expectations because with the expectation being higher than it it is realistic in other words the expectation being that trust is automatic and not earned whenever somebody does violate the construct of what we have idealized in our minds we find ourselves sorely disappointed missing out on the opportunity to really grow because our associations of our experiences, our past experiences, 
tell us otherwise. Our past experiences tell us, well, you know, people in the past have hurt me. You know, people in the past have done this, they've done that. And no matter the type of relationship you're in, whether it is a business partnership, whether it is a romantic interest, whether it is a family member, it really doesn't matter. Trust is something that is built over time. And we often confuse loyalty with trust, thinking that it is the same thing. Gentlemen and ladies, when you go into police academy, the, the very first thing that they, they emphasize is officer safety. They pretty much program and teach you from the very beginning that you can trust no one. And the reason for that is, is because there is a certain element of the unpredictable, the not being able to control things part. You can't control human behavior because human behavior is often unpredictable. You can have a certain number of experiences and be able to tie those experiences together and say, you know what, it looks like a dog, it it barks like a dog, it has a tail that wags like a dog, it must be a dog. But you still don't know if it's a dog until it's right up front, you know, it's barking, and you know for a fact that it is indeed a dog. Otherwise, we could be looking from a distance and it turns out it's not a dog at all, it's a fox. We have to be very cautious that in the process of taking our past experiences that we're also not profiling people, that we're not, you know, you know, just taking little bits and pieces of information and drawing conclusions and, and you know, coming up with deductions about that situation or person before we have all the facts. So I have two things that I always say, you know, you can choose to believe the best in someone or you can choose to believe the worst. But if you don't have all the facts and there's no conversation, therefore there's no trust, then you're left in your assumptions. And both are very dangerous. You know, if people are not willing to discuss things and talk them out without their defenses, then unfortunately you're left with your experiential lens. And that means those experiences that you formulated at some point in your life that cause you to associate other experiences with the current situation. So in other words, you're taking bits and pieces of the past and you're bringing it to the present and you're expecting different results. We have to be very cautious and mindful of that, that actions speak louder than words. So you can say, hey, you know what, mom, I really love you. But how does she define that? There's a great book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. I thoroughly recommend it. And please understand that just because you feel loved whenever you receive gifts, for example, doesn't mean that other people do. And just because that is your love language, how you show love, doesn't mean that that's how other people feel love. Maybe your love language when you're expressing it is to give gifts, but maybe the love language that you hold is when you get words of affirmation. See, human beings are wired based on their experiences. The things that they associate tends to be their reality. So here's where I'm going with it. If you say, hey, mom, I love you, and her love language is words of affirmation, but yet you're giving her gifts, she may misinterpret that for, hey, you know, you're just uh, placating her, you're just uh, holding her at bay, you know, but what she's been desiring to hear from you is, you know, how valuable she is to you. So oftentimes, in the process of, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and when you're trying to show somebody something so that you can earn their trust and, you know, keep building it and, help them feel comfortable in their shoes and their situation, you tend to find that that disconnect and how people communicate is the key because of their associations to themselves and the world around them can be very, very different 
than other people and how they associate with the world. So this may seem like perfect common sense. This may seem like, well, duh, Ashley, why are we having a whole discussion about it? The reason we're having a discussion about it and why this is the topic of today's show is that when actions speak louder than words, it tends to either build that trust or it tends to take away from it. I think people fail to realize and I have often been guilty of this. Please do not think that you're talking with somebody just because, you know, they have some credentials and, and whatnot that, you know, hey, she must never be wrong. She must be a pro. She must be an expert. Negative. We all struggle with this. I've struggled with this. I still struggle with this. But it's important to discuss because it can deteriorate a very good thing. Don't be that person that walks into a situation and is then feeling persecuted and defensive because you had an agreement, which is what they require in order to build trust. And you feel like you are being questioned because, hey, you know what? There shouldn't be an agreement in the first place. I've not done anything to not earn your trust. So why are you questioning me? It is not have anything to do 99% of the time when someone questions something. It's because they're seeking to understand so that they can continue to have that trust and that commitment that they put into your relationship, whether, like I said, whether it is romantic, whether it is familial, whether it is a friendship or a business type of association. The, the reason why people ask questions nine times out of 10 is not to question the validity of your argument or your statement or the things that you're doing, nor is it to take away how you see things through your eyes and nor is they're requesting it a dismissal of your particular stance on the matter, but rather it is a very real reality that that person individually feels is the best solution to addressing any kind of question about your behavior or your actions so that they can maintain that level of trust. So actions do speak louder than words. It's probably one of the better adages that I've heard. I've heard a lot of things that are incredibly outdated. One that I've heard since I was a child that says it takes a village to raise a child. No, it, it, it doesn't necessarily take a village to raise a child. The implication there is, oh, well, you know, it's going to take all of us working together in order to raise someone. No, negative. What it does take is people who are committed to the process of improving and growing and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable to teach the child a thing called resiliency so that when they face the world, they can be successful men and women. So sometimes our adages are, you know, they're just feel good. And unfortunately, we've become addicted in this world to things that feel good. You know, addiction is at an all-time high. We've always had addiction, but now it is at an all-time high because people are constantly chasing those feel-good feelings. They're constantly chasing, you know, after that prize of just not having to really deal with anything because, hey, if I have to deal with my sadness and I have to deal with my anger and, God forbid, I have to do a little bit of work, you know, to you know, have trust or whatever, that discomfort that they're feeling is something that so many people are running from because we are in a world and a society where, you know, that's the focus. We want that instant gratification. I mean, shoot, I see more than ever when there's a problem between two people, what they'll do is they'll just grab their phone. They'll just grab their phone and they'll just do something mindless to take their mind off of their frustration because, hey, they're thinking this is a positive coping mechanism. You know, instead of yelling at this person that's sitting across from me, I'm going to pick up my phone and I'm just going to start playing with it. 
you know, because I don't owe this person an explanation. I am grown, insert age, (laughs) you know, and this is how old I am and I don't owe anybody anything. And you know what? I'm entitled to that respect off the bat and I'm entitled to to feel the way I feel. Nobody can tell me how to feel. Nobody can, can tell me what to do because I'm an adult and I shouldn't have to explain myself. And unfortunately, when you grab your phone, that is exactly the message you're sending. And I see this at restaurants. I see this with parent-child relationships. I see this with romantic relationships. I see this between families. The other day I was at a fast food restaurant and I noticed that instead of the parents having to engage the child and teaching the child between what's right and what's wrong and what a proper behavior modification strategy would be, instead they just hand them an iPad. Here, let's just distract you. Let's take your mind off things. Let's not actually address the problem. Let's go ahead and pour some dirt on it. You know, let it sit, and then we'll just pretend like it didn't happen. It's sad when we live in a world where we base our relationships and the quality of those relationships based on the level of comfort. Actually, the more comfortable your relationship is, the more likely that you are not going to grow in it, and eventually you will outgrow that person, whether it is a business partnership or friendship or romantic relationship. Please know when I say relationship, I mean any kind of relationship. If you are so comfortable... You know, that does not define a healthy relationship. Being comfortable just means, oh, okay, well, there's a problem, but I'm going to just cover it up because, hey, it's easier to not discuss it and play pretend than it is to actually address the problem and get to the heart of the issue. When that is what you think, congratulations, my friend, you have just entered cognitive distortion land where pretty much it's the alternative name, a.k.a. la-la land. It's not reality. It's idealism at its finest, and it is a very dangerous, dangerous thing. The, you know, like I said, the enemy, like I shared in the last episode, the enemy just uses, it's not that he's particularly brilliant or smart. He just takes those holes in our armor, things he knows have have worked for centuries, decades, you know, thousands of years. He just knows that if he can get you comfortable, you're probably not going to move because who likes to be uncomfortable? Nobody. So actions speak louder than words. And being comfortable does not necessarily mean that it's, that it's healthy. We've got to stop convincing ourselves that we're on the set of some kind of Hollywood movie. And hey, you've got mail or Sleepless in Seattle as the model of what love looks like. You know, I think there was a movie when I was growing up called My Girl. I think that was the name of it. It had Macaulay Culkin in it. And it was basically a friendship love story. There was a little girl and a little boy and they grew up together and they were the best of friends. He got stung by bees and he had an allergic reaction, went into anaphylactic shock and he ended up losing his life. And basically what that story was showing viewers was that this is what friendship looks like. This is this is love. And all it, you know, it showed for the most part was this very peaceful, you know, agreeable, comfortable friendship where, you know, they, they just pretty much, you know, uh, galloped through the fields of wildflowers. And I'm being sarcastic, but the point is, is that the message came across as, hey, you know what, if you want a comfortable friendship and you want a comfortable relationship, no matter what kind it is, then, hey, you're on the right track because it's, it's, 
there's no there's no adversity to it. There's no pushing each other past your your preset limits. I like to call that a target set point. Here's the best analogy I can give you. If you were to lose, if you wanted to lose weight and you wanted to keep it off, well, you'd do what you had to do, right? You would take those disciplinary measures. You'd get uncomfortable because what you're used to eating is causing you to be at a particular point in your weight that you don't want to be. So you have to get uncomfortable with that. You have to go ahead and make those proper precautions and measure things out and do things outside of the ordinary that are uncomfortable and out of your your normal scope and daily activities. And you have to discipline yourself and discipline your mind to be able to work past those temptations in order to reach your goal. And as if it wasn't hard enough, so I used to do Nutrisystem. I did it all the time and up until recently, but this past seven months, you know, <laughs> if you did Nutrisystem, everything was pre-portioned. So you just follow the plan and lo and behold, it was like magic, it worked. And at the end of it, they would put you on what's referred to as a maintenance plan. In other words, you're still going to want to make good choices for a period of time about what you eat because you could gain all that weight back. The reason for that is because your body has already, you know, your body has muscle and cellular memory. So your body has already predetermined what your target set, what your weight set point is. So it used to be that my weight set point was about 130 to 135 pounds. Well, I wanted to change that. So what I did is I lost weight till I got to about 120 pounds. And then I did the maintenance plan and I did it for a very long period of time. And my set point for my weight was now 125 because I had taught and trained my body through lots of periods of discomfort and discipline that it needed to, you know, if there was ever a day that I slipped or you know, a week or two that I did something I wasn't supposed to, that when I started having those good habits again, my body would easily return back to that 125 pounds that I so desired. Now, the opposite is true as well, meaning that I could sit there and I could consume and gorge and treat myself for longer periods of time. And what I've taught my body to do at that point is to reverse all that. And now my new set point is 130 pounds or whatever the case might be. The point is, is that we do the same thing in our relationships. We don't set enough set points up because if we did that and there was conflict, then we would not trust the process because we would question in our periods of discomfort if this is something that is worth fighting for because, hey, you know, it's uncomfortable. And hey, I'm associating, you know, my past experience with this level of discomfort and whether there's any merit or evidence to it, I'm going to believe it because, you know what, that's my defenses. My guards go back up because I don't want to right hook to the jaw. I want to be able to to stay in my comfort zone because, hey, that feels so much better. By the time you get to be in your 30s and 40s and, you know, even, of course, even older than that, you get exhausted. You get exhausted with the constant struggle, the constant, you know, growing pains. But the reason I specifically mentioned 30s and 40s is because when you are a adolescent entering teenhood, you learn a lot about how you're going to interact socially with others and you start to you know, accept preconceived notions about what things mean. That's just part of the growing and development process. And then when we get in our 20s, we start to take what we learned in our adolescence and our our teen years, and we start to see, okay, so maybe I just fine-tune this. Maybe what I'll do is I'll chip away at one side of this rock here until it's perfectly sculptured. and, And you know what? I'll just focus on that one side 
because, hey, it looks like it's working. I, I fine-tuned it. I finally got it figured out. Well, those of you who are no longer in your 20s, you have already, uh, you'll be the first to say that, my God, you know, what you thought worked and what you thought you knew in your 20s is very, very different than how life actually is when you start hitting your 30s. Because now you're at your, your mid-career point and you're starting to see that there's a lot more responsibility and most people have children and have established some kind of a long-term relationship or commitment to someone or something and they start to realize, hey, these demands have changed and why is what I know to work not working anymore? That's because there's that whole other side that you left unsculpted that now you're having to learn how to work on. And then when you get into your 40s, you're looking at something perfectly sculptured and you're thinking, well, hey, that's what I know works. And then you realize there's this whole other set of issues. You know, your body changes, you know, there's, there's all these other demands, you know, what used to be your reality in your 20s and 30s is now also becoming different. And so therefore you go right back into another period of discomfort and now you're questioning everything altogether. That's why you hear about people having midlife crises. Gentlemen and ladies, it's a lot less about having a, you know, a crisis as it is, is knowing how to deal with all these changes you thought you knew. That's what it is. And we think, well, I'm exempt. I'm absolutely exempt because, you know, I, I know. So, you know, people have a choice. They, they let that define them as the sum total of who they are, what they've encountered and experienced. And they say, well, that's, that's who I am. That's what I'm about. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Unfortunately, that's not reality. That's not life. That's not how it really works. See, the, the truth be told is that we were never designed to stay in the same place. Our bodies reflect that. If we were always supposed to be comfortable and, and remain in the same place, in the same position we always have been in, then our bodies themselves would not change because we should not change. Everything around us deteriorates and grows old at some point. Nothing stays the same forever. There's always going to be those circumstances that enter our lives that change and alter how we see things and how we operate. Our modus operandi is always going to have to change. We can have the same, you know, the same basic morals and beliefs, but how you react to things and how you choose to use those things will change. That's discomfort. That's discomfort. And people fight that and resist that. And then they wonder why they bring old problems into new relationships. They wonder why, you know, they're having to rebuild trust again. And they just spent the past 20, 30 years rebuilding trust with other people and other situations. And so then this other person comes along and they're different and they're outside of the what you know to be true, your perceived reality. And all of a sudden, they're target number one. And you'll find that human nature by default looks at things and situations that are different as a threat because it doesn't know how to define it because the brain learns and reacts according to your associations. So the key here is to change the way you look at being uncomfortable. And that starts with your actions and your behaviors that actions do speak louder than words. So if you're telling me in one breath, hey, you know what? I'm a moral, honorable employee. I don't do, you know, anything shady or, you know, I have a moral compass and it always points north. And yet, if I was your boss, for example, 
you are not disclosing things. You're no longer sharing things. You know, you're a little bit more closed off. You're more impatient. The message that I'm going to get as your boss is that this once known employee, known for their morality and integrity, I'm going to now question that, not because I don't believe in them and not because I feel that this person has changed, but quite possibly their circumstances and where they stand on things have changed. So I need to ask and inquire and open up the line of communication so that my assumption based on what I've seen through my own associations is not actually applied inappropriately or incorrectly, which could be damaging to to any kind of relationship. So that is why actions speak louder than words, because when somebody takes the actions and they're in complete contradiction with what you've agreed and then you try to question them to understand better and then they become defensive well makes you wonder what is it that they're guarding so closely that they have to worry about a right hook when you've never been known yourself to be the deliverer of right hooks recently in my own personal life I've had to deal with a lot of that kind of reality where you know people believe what they want to and Let me tell you why the people believe what they want to, because, again, they are comfortable with what they know. And if, you know, something looks like it could be altered or twisted into something that makes them feel a little bit better about themselves, they'll do it. That's what I mean when people say, when I say that people believe what they want to, because it's the truth. You can't control a belief system. But one thing is true. There's objective and subjective. Objective meaning things that are facts, meaning they cannot be changed. And subjective meaning things that are opinions based on experiences or experience that you have that you define from your angle and point of view, which could be more limited than you realize. It's kind of like saying, I understand what it's like to be a parent because I have been one. I was one from the time that the uh, little guy that I was raising was born to about eight months old. One as a capacity as a, as a friend and the other within the relationship with their biological parent to the time he was eight years old. But just because I was a parent for that period of time, which was a very significant period of time in his life, doesn't mean I understand what it's like to be a mom or a dad. I I can relate to it because I had one of each. Well, most of the time, (laughs) but you know, you can relate to anything and you could have a concept. You could sympathize with their situations, but being able to really have the empathy and personal know-how and personal experience, that's a different thing entirely. And that is not fact-finding. That is not fact-finding at all. That's again, making the same mistake and thinking that, you know, I'm going to have different results you know, because this person should be like this other person I was with who, you know, made me feel very comfortable. Or this person should parent the way that I do because that makes me more comfortable. Or they want to believe a nasty, vicious lie and a rumor because, hey, you know what, they can process that. They just can't process all the other because the other requires somebody making the effort to try to understand it from another person's point of view. And unfortunately, that that's work. And with work is, again, a level of discomfort. So, you know, your actions could could say something that is entirely contradictory to where you're actually at. But unless you talk about it, they're going to be stuck in their assumptions. So people believe what they want to. You can either choose to believe the best or you can choose to believe the worst. The worst is the most expensive. And I'll tell you why. Because if you believe the best and you're wrong, 
you know, you come out shining. But if you believe the worst and you're right, well, then that's, that's okay. You didn't really take much of a risk because that's where you started. Again, it goes back to being uncomfortable with a situation that may require you to think outside the box. But if you believe the worst in somebody and you're wrong, the reason why it's more expensive is because it can be the most costly to, to the value of your relationships with other people because they will have to then process through their lens, probably going to result in them putting their guard up because they feel like they've got a right hook to their jaw and they're feeling pretty upset that you didn't know them better than that. And here you assume the worst. And so there's always going to be some damage. I like to call it relationship scar tissue. You're going to start building that scar tissue up because you've already set a precedence that, you know, here's what I think about you. I'm not even going to think the best because this is what I think about you. And when you believe the worst in somebody and you're wrong, you take serious chances in damaging your relationships. Yeah. Uh, taking a walk with resiliency, you know how life gets. So we are here to help you, kind of like sidekicks. Walk with confidence, whether business or individuals. We got your back, yeah, we know that is critical. Career preparation, even life coaching, enrichment for couples. Let's get the ball rolling. What you need? Dover River Consulting. Walk with resilience, this is your moment, yeah. Taking a walk with resiliency. So I always advise people, and I say this advice in a very respectful manner because I also don't believe in offering unsolicited advice because sometimes people don't need to have your advice. Sometimes they just want you to listen. So you have this very limited scope, this very limited scope of information that you think you have knowledge of, that analogy that I used of, yeah, I know what it's like to be a parent, but I do not know what it's like to be a mother. You are correct. You have that very limited scope of information about someone else, but somehow you think you have it all together when really there's so much more to that picture than people realize. So these are things that I think are worth discussing. Let that you know, be something that you ponder in your brain as you go throughout your day. Don't let it hesitate to make you feel uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. Allow yourself to question what you thought you knew about someone. Allow yourself to get uncomfortable with someone that you love and that you've taken that step with because, you know, throwing dirt on something or sweeping it under the rug doesn't mean it's healthy. In fact, what that equates to is a lack of care because you don't care enough about growing with someone because you're so focused on how comfortable they make you feel. And then somehow at the end of the day, you, you or someone else ends up feeling resentful because, you know, they just kind of felt like they just wasted their time. Because really, it is the uh, human nature of human beings to want to get better, to move past the norm, to move past what they once knew. Because that's how we were designed. Our bodies and our minds were designed to be trained to continuously grow, to build upon what it already has, which... What it has is just the foundation. It's not the potential. And so you have to look at your relationships with others that way too, that, you know, you have, you know, what it, the frame, you know, you have the framework, but you don't really have, you know, a solid foundation to which requires 
You know, you actually put in the, the cornerstones down in order to build a house. You have to have that or you don't have a solid, solid foundation. And, you know, one day the wind blows or a tree falls on the roof and you wonder why everything you've worked so hard for inside feels like it's crumbling and toppling down and becoming destroyed because you have invested a certain amount of time into someone else under the pretense, usually the theme of it being about, hey, I deserve to be trusted. That is what I deserve. That is what I'm entitled to until I give you a reason. There's no reason for you to not trust me. But that goes against the natural default of human beings, which is, hey, somebody does something different in their behavior. That's going to cause somebody to put their guard up to avoid a right hook. And lo lo and behold, there may not even be something that is a trust issue to begin with that's worth discussing but because you shut them down now you're stuck at you know from the very beginning you might as well have just you know tore down took a wrecking ball and tore that entire foundation of what you've been building down you might as well just tear it down because now you're dealing with trust issues that didn't have to be in place because hey god forbid somebody wanted to help you grow and they wanted to understand that's part of the process All I can say is that I was on the phone with my mother today and we were discussing the purpose of marriage and commitment. And we were kind of having a philosophical discussion regarding, you know, what the world sees as ideal and how it, you know, it it tries to lean in, in describing healthy relationships by looking at a knight in shining armor, a prince or a princess in a castle or, you know, somebody, you know, they... They do something, they try to stop you at the airport before you take off so that they can tell you they love you. That's asinine and very immature. That's not the kind of growth that human beings should be seeking. They should be seeking relationships and encounters with people who grow them from the inside out so that they can live the life to the fullest. One of my favorite Bible verses are, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But guess what? You don't get there by staying in a comfort zone. If anybody knows, uh, God is one of our toughest teachers and he does not hesitate to pull you out of comfort zones. There's another verse that refers to having beauty from ashes. Well, ashes require complete decimation and inferno in order to become ashes in the first place. How can you make something beautiful if it's already complete? You can't. You have to tear down that foundation to build it back up in order to, you know, change into the person that you were always meant to be. You have to go to school, right? You have to go to school in order to get a degree. That means you have to expand your thought process. That means you have to communicate. You're forced by the very nature of what that goal is to step out of comfort zones on a daily basis. It's a huge accomplishment. They do the same thing, and I already mentioned police academies, but they do the same thing in the military. They literally work on building trust. And in fact, to the point where you pretty much are willing to risk your own life in order to save someone else's. That is the biggest trust test that I as an adult have endured with my brothers and sisters in arms is recognizing why the military trains us that way. So I digress. I go back to my conversation with my mother where we were kind of discussing some of these, these fairy tale type of ideals. And, I, and she said to me, she goes, Ashley, you know, If you just look in the Bible, at the couples in the Bible, man, you know, they weren't living in complete bliss with no arguments. There was a heck of a lot of arguments. How you know that? Well, let's start from the top. You know, you got Adam and Eve. I do believe that's on record as our first human argument, you know. 
you know, testing God. And, you know, even though God knew the end from the beginning and had always provided provision, you still had, you know, Adam and Eve going outside of what God's ultimate plan was. I like to call it his original plan. Everybody wants to focus on the original sin of a situation, but our focus is off. It's the original plan. So I like to focus on the original plan, and that was to always be under the, the shadow of our Almighty, you know, to be able to trust that he's got our backs, that he'll always provide. And, you know, they went ahead and went outside of that because they did, in fact, feel too comfortable. And so they ended up making some pretty horrendous mistakes in the process of trying to secure that comfort zone that they got eager and greedy and wanted to know more. It's like they wanted to be challenged by the very nature of being human. So, you know, what did Eve do? She went and she ate from the garden of, of good and evil. The, you know, did I say that right? I'm thinking more like the, uh, sorry, <laughs> basically the, the knowledge of good and evil, not the garden of good and evil. She went and ate that because it was more important for her to experience some growth than it was to remain in her comfort zone. So that's one. You know, then there's the uh, the sibling rivalry and the uh, relationship between Cain and Abel, where, you know, one was, you know, very jealous about the other because the other just looked like he just, you know, he had all the favor and he had it going on and, you know, and that made him uncomfortable. So he so desired to feel comfortable and to have the spotlight on him and to feel good about himself that he didn't want to grow and become uncomfortable to understand it on any other level. So he took him out, literally killed his own brother. So what you'll find is, even in the Bible where everybody likes to reference, you will find that, you know, anything that was worth having required some kind of period of discomfort so that they could have the ability to grow. You know, David, you know, had a tendency to be used a lot in church. If Everybody would discuss King David and they would talk about him like, you know, he was just this amazing man of God. And he was, but... You also have to tell the whole story. The man <laughs> was an adulterer and a murderer, very immoral, made a lot of horrible mistakes. It didn't change his heart and desire for God, but it also didn't keep him from going after that which he wanted. He had no problem, you know, taking the easy route out and keeping it as comfortable as possible because, you know, it's just easier to kill the husband and take the woman than it is to, you know, actually find one that is not otherwise committed to somebody and to go through the dating process and and whatnot because that's uncomfortable. And his actions spoke louder than words. His actions demonstrated his character. It didn't, you know, demonstrate who he was to God because he still loved God, but he made some horrible choices. You know, and that's just that's just one idea of, of relationships. The relationships in the Bible were messy. You know, and my mother and I were talking about Sarah and Abraham and how Sarah was barren. And, you know, she being a good wife, she just wanted her husband to feel, you know, good. Like he had a legacy. He, she wanted to give him a son and she couldn't. And that was so important to their culture in that day, in those days. But the way she acted isn't much different than what you see modern wives and mothers doing. You know, instead of trusting God and being uncomfortable for a period of time, she took matters into her own hands. It really changed the course of history. Even to this day, we still deal with that disobedience. But, you know, God still blessed it. And that's the, that's the takeaway that, you know, blessings and rewards come from a period of discomfort. It comes from a period of, you know, 
really putting in the work. And that's, that's what trust is. You know, she, she had a trust issue with God. And she quickly learned that, you know, God is probably the only being. You don't have to worry about earning. You don't have to. He doesn't have to earn your trust. He's, he's, he knows the end from the beginning. He's the alpha, the omega. But yet, she still had trust issues. And her actions spoke louder than words. She could say, oh, I trust you. I trust you, God. But you know, meanwhile, you know, she's taking matters into her own hands and telling her husband, hey, go sleep with uh, the handmaiden over there. She'll give you a son. And then she gets all mad when, you know, he puts his time and energy into this boy, which takes the attention off of her. So the moral of that story is, is quite clear. You know, trust is earned. You know, it's going to take, you know, if you're not God, you're going to have to earn that trust. And actions and behavior, they do speak louder than words because she learned a very hard lesson. What it ended up resulting in is that disobedience ended up changing what God's original plan was for them. You know, God did eventually fulfill that promise in her and gave her a son and that we would know him as Isaac. But I I will say that, you know, the fun doesn't stop there. You know, Abraham was very, you know, depressed. You know, he was, if you read the Bible and you actually learn about who Abraham was, he was an older man. You know, he questioned God. I mean, he even questioned God and he was a righteous man. He questioned him, and his actions spoke louder than words because he literally questioned him when he said, you will have a son. And, you know, as the the stars are in the sky, you know, shall be your, your, your children, your seeds. You know, generations after generations will be because, you know, I have fulfilled that promise in you, and yet he still didn't want to believe it. See... You have these tumultuous relationships in the Bible. There is actually no such thing as a, you know, a story in the Bible where it did not take some great act or some kind of, you know, mistake and and lots of discomfort in order to do and become something even bigger and better than you could have ever done by yourself. David had to face Goliath. David was just a shepherd in a field, but he became the king of Israel and You know, and God knew that David had a heart that was turned towards him. So, you know, again, this is not a religious channel or anything. This is just real talk. This is just me getting real with you. So even if you don't believe in the Christian Judeo God, you could still take the stories that I told you and apply it because, you know, whether or not we believe in a Christian Judeo God or not, or whether we believe in a different source like a higher power or some kind of alternative, you can still take from that situation knowing that that, you know, that we're looking at a book that was written thousands of years ago and apply it to our lives now. Because if it was going on then and those things were being told to generations that far back, it's pretty safe to say that that formula is not going to change just because we're in uh, 2018. Or, you know, we can, we can future date it, 2020. It's not going to matter it's not going to matter. What's going to matter is, is that formula doesn't change. It's always going to take some work. You're going to have to get uncomfortable in order to grow. And just because something's comfortable doesn't mean it's the best for you. Nothing that we do that's great comes from being comfortable. I, I can't just be walking and win a marathon. I, I have to get uncomfortable and I have to run at some point. Otherwise, I'm never going to finish it. So we've got a race, folks, you know, we've got a race 
and we think that we have all the answers because we have all these experiences, but truth be told, that's it's not the case at all. Yeah, everybody has their own unique experiences and nobody can tell you how to feel true. But in response, you can't tell the other person to not have a response to it because that's part of that growth. It's part of the growing process. So anyway, I just want to thank you for listening to episode two of Taking a Walk with Resiliency, featuring you actions speak louder than words and a discussion of trust and what building resiliency actually requires. Until next time. Yeah. Uh, taking a walk with resiliency You know how life gets So we are here to help you Kinda like sidekicks Walk with confidence Whether business or individuals We got your back, yeah We know that it's critical Career preparation Even life coaching Enrichment for couples Let's get the ball rolling What you need to Walk with resilience This is your moment, yeah Taking a walk with resiliency Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Hear more episodes on Spreaker.com. Check us out on Facebook and visit our website.